This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. David Steinberg, who's a comedy legend who I've known for years now, who's directed me on shows. He's he's an established TV director and a famous comedian. But did you know about David Steinberg? He was on President Nixon's enemies list that he played a role in getting the Smothers Brothers kicked off CBS at that he appeared on Johnny Carson show over 140 times and he was the best man at the wedding of mobster crazy Joe Gallo yep that and more when we talk to David Steinberg Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my sidekick, Frank Santopadre. And uh, we have with us today, David Steinberg. Now, David, just, uh, just like about a week ago, it seems, you were interviewing me on your show. And now I'm interviewing you on my show. Yeah. So basically, yeah. we're officially two old Jews in a home, uh, <laughs> sitting together, repeating the same old stories. Yes. That's where, true. Yeah, where it's like, did I tell you my daughter uh, lives in Jersey? You told me that. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I'll try not to repeat myself, but it depends on the questions. So I'll try not to repeat myself. <laughs> now, now you are the best man at a oh. mobster's wedding. At at uh, yeah. well, yeah. mobster to you, very good friend to me. <laughs> So when we're both in trouble, who do you think is in better shape, <laughs> me or you? <laughs> and what was his name? Joey Gallo. Yes. The famous, infamous Joey Gallo. Yes. How did yes. you meet Joey Gallo? Well, at that time, it was the early 70s, and Joey 
was, I guess he, you know, not a terrible thing, but he must have killed a couple people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was in prison. And then he got out of prison. But at that time, a lot of the liberals in the show business, I mean, I'm telling you a lot of people like Doc Simon, Neil Simon, and Peter Stone, the writer, and uh, and Jerry Orbach, especially Jerry Orbach, you know, the actor, yes. who was a very good friend of mine and one of the most lovely people in the world. And when Joey got out, he had re- rehabilitated himself, and they were... <laughs> They were championing him, and they said, so I, I was just going about my career, and I'm a very good friend of Jerry's and all these people. And Jerry Orbach said to me, we're having a brunch for Joey Gallo, and he's, he, he really wants to meet you. He likes, he's, a, he's a fan. He wants to meet you. And I, so I, I said, like you said, I said, Joey Gallo? <laughs> I probably said the mobster at the time or what killer were. The killer? <laughs> so, I didn't go that far, but so so he he then Jerry never let me alone. You know, he, he had brunches every Sunday and there were all these famous people, whoever was in town at the time performing at the Saint Regis or all these places were there. And and again, Jerry was delightful. I loved him. So over and over, he asked me, and I just, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a feeling about it. That was a big negative, but it wasn't like something I was rushing to do. And so he said, just come this Sunday. And I went that Sunday, and a lot of celebrities were in the room, and we were all sitting at brunch in his uh, townhouse in Chelsea. And Jerry said, you, you're sitting next to Joey. He wants you to sit next to him. So, <laughs> and and you didn't think to say no, I don't want to. <laughs> I I might have I might have thought that, but I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> but you know, this is not like being invited to the rabbi's table and sitting next to him. <laughs> this is a whole another kind of experience. I I I couldn't even fathom that I was having. So I sat next to Joey, and Joey actually was charming and interesting he looked like the actor richard winmark oh yeah sure yeah he patterned himself black after like richard. me yeah yes he started <laughs> he i think he you know he even he dressed like he looked like richard winmark so he, he's but he wasn't a gangstery type and then when i sat down next to him he said something to me like in the first few minutes that I knew I was going to remember for the rest of my life. And he said, you know, David, in Attica, you were everybody's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) What a compliment. (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's uh, a version of Nachis I never expected to have. I hope he meant favorite comedian, David. Yeah. Now, did, did they mean they had photos of you on the wall? No, they... they watched television. They watched the Tonight Show and uh, the next day, and, and I guess what, I was. What were they doing watch. while they were watching you? What's that, Gilbert? What were they doing while they were watching you? I didn't ask. Yeah. I didn't. You know what? Oh, I didn't, can... explore, I didn't ask any questions after that about me and him. Can I make a correction? Uh, you said Richard Whitmark, and I was thinking of Richard Whitmore. 
Oh, James Whitmore. James right. Whitmore, right. Right. who is in black like me. Richard Whitmore threw the old lady yes, down the stairs yes. in the wheelchair. Yes, yes. yes. And I think that's why Joey was so impressed with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have role models. Yeah, she was in the wheelchair, and he just had, he had the courage to throw her down the stairs. Now, how many times have you guest hosted or just a, on, on, the, uh, on the Carson show? A lot, a lot. I did, I, you know, the number that they, that they had on the computer was like 140 times, but I don't think that even had all my guest hostings, but a, a lot. Because, you know what, Gilbert, I started with, with Johnny right away, like in the, in the 60s, I was on with him and in New York. And, uh, and then we hit it off and, uh, you know, w- within like another, I had another appearance after the first appearance. And I was still, I just come from Second City, so I did some stuff I had done at Second City. And for that time, it was very unique and original. And, but the second appearance, I sat down next to him and, you know, told, you know, literally a story about being in Winnipeg. And so on my, on my second appearance on the show, I sat down next to Johnny and, you know, and I told the story, improvised on it and all that. And he was laughing and he participated in it as well. And it was just, it was great. And after the show, he said to me, you know, for me, Johnny talking, these shows are really hard, you know, it was 90 minutes at the time. And uh, he said, look, I'm going to take, start taking Mondays off. So in two weeks, do you want to host and come in and do the show? Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, you know, the, uh, I was so young and inexperienced that uh, I said, oh, oh, sure, of course. Like, <laughs> no, why not? Like, I expected it. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I did. I, I guest hosted right away. And I think uh, Cassius Clay was one of my first guests. Yeah, who would later on become Muhammad Ali. Absolutely. That's how long ago it was. Wow. And he and Cassius Quay, Muhammad Ali, you know, again, that was it was still the 60s, late 60s. He was so funny, Gilbert, sharp and funny and <laughs> pushing me and teasing me and putting me down. He was, he was just hilarious. And uh, so, so I did all, all of it. I did them, and then I just never stopped doing them, which was the most, you know, I think of all the things I've done, being on The Tonight Show is what I think of as my career, actually. You guys had such wonderful chemistry, uh, David. I just saw an interview with Alan Zweibel, apart uh, from your documentary, where he's describing uh-huh. you and Johnny as having almost a kind of a father-son dynamic. Would you agree yeah. with that? Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he identified with me because I was very, I know it seems a little, I was very out there for, you know, the, the thing about, like, George Carlin, who was just starting to get his sort of groove going at that time, and Richie Pryor, we were all in, Richie and I were in the village. He was at Coffee Agogo. I was across the street. Richie was just starting to do that. But I could... I could write stuff for myself that was edgy and interesting and would alienate a certain part of the audience, but not alienate them enough so that they could go crazy on me. (laughs) (laughs) So so it just became, um, and and Johnny couldn't get over that. I I got all these things said, 
and uh, and he he just let me go. So it was incredible for me. And and do you remember any incidents or just any guests you had that stand out? I remember uh, David Fry was a guest that stood out because when I the hosted, mimic, yeah, the famous yeah, the yeah. Mimic, Nixon yes. impersonator. I, I think I think he was doing uh, Lyndon Johnson, probably Nixon at the time, and so it was one of my first guests guest hosting, and. Uh, and I believe it was Peter LaSalle at the time was the executive producer. And he said, you know, and I had a lot of guests and he said, when David Fry comes out, don't ask him anything other than just go right to Nixon. He doesn't like the chit chat. He doesn't just go, just get his, just go right to Nixon. So, uh, I said, okay, I'll go right to Nixon. I mean, that's easy. I'll, you know, you'll come in. I saw the card, Nixon. And so David Fry comes on and he sits down and I see that says Nixon. I'm about to say it, but I say, David, so uh, how's it going? And David looks, looks out at the executive producer who's sitting in front. And he says, how's it going? What's how's it going? <laughs> what is this? How's it going? <laughs> And I, I didn't know what to do. I said, I, I said, how's it going with Nixon? <laughs> and then he went into his Nixon impression and uh, came off afterwards and, uh, and told Peter, oh, I'm never going to go on with Steinberg. <laughs> he asked these tough questions, like, how's it going? So, so he was a great ad-libber, in other words. <laughs> well, but his impressions, I must say, were incredible. They, he, like, he, he, he would and, get the face oh, he was and the great. look of it and all that. Best Nixon ever. See, what people forget is, like, I remember seeing a page in a magazine where they were listing all the people who have ever done a Nixon imitation, <laughs> yeah. like from Dan Aykroyd oh, to sure. uh, Anthony Hopkins, and they left out... David's, uh, you know, makes no sense. David Fry, yeah. oh, who that's, that's, invented it. He was, uh, that's too bad because he was literally one of the best impressionists you've ever seen. He invented everyone who does Nixon is imitating David Fry. Absolutely. And David Fry got the actual look of him, you know, with the eyes. Oh, my God. Yes. Right. Uh, that, that was, yeah, he was the best at it, actually. And he invented the uh, William Buckley imitation. Yeah. That was another yeah. great one. Yeah, all that stuff. Absolutely. Now, you used to hang out when they were all alive at the time when you were on TV with uh, like uh, Groucho Marx, Jack Benny and George Burns. Yes. Well, I, 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 you know, I'm I'm considerably younger than them. I don't want. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't you in your 20s, David, when you would have lunch with them? (laughs) Yes. Well, I was. Uh, again, still just a kid at the time, in my 20s, and a producer by the name of Arthur Whitelaw was wanted to do a play on the life of the Marx Brothers, and I had a character that I played at Second City, which was definitely just me doing Groucho, a psychiatrist character. I remember oh, that. sure. Yeah, was you was even said, you know, booga booga! Yeah, exactly, booga <laughs> booga, that, all that came from there. And it was like a big hit in Chicago, and I did it occasionally on TV. I mean, uh, for people who know me, then they always, they always want me to uh, to keep on doing it. But you know, I have to leap through the air. I don't have the uh, the koya to do it anymore, <laughs> <laughs> the energy to do it anymore. But 
but so they so I was asked to do uh, uh, to write this minis boys on the life of the Marx Brothers, and uh, I met with Groucho. I had a show then um, with me and. Oh, are you guys there? We're here. Yes. Guys, oh, well, that's someone calling off my phone here. My wife will pick it up. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yes. Loud and clear. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, you actually have a career. People are calling you. <laughs> yeah. See. <laughs> it could be a relative. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're asked to write minis, boys. So, so. So then I met with Groucho, and I had a show called Music Scene at the time, and he did that with me, and, and then I got to meet with him every Tuesday to just, you know, pick his brain for just information about the family. You know, they were a group called the Five Nightingales, and, uh, and then Zeppo was in the group, and then they had Gummo was in the group, and, you know, just all the history of them is what he would give me. And, uh, and then after a while, he just said, you know, Instead of me talking, let's on Tuesday go to Hillcrest Country Club, and we'll sit with the guys. So I thought, okay, I, I, the guy, I didn't know the guys <laughs> were going to be this this Mount Rushmore of uh, of Jewish comedians with fake names like Jack <laughs> Benny right. and uh, and uh, um, the was Irving it? Fine yeah, manager was Jack, there. Jack Benny and, was Benny Kabelsky. Right. And Matt Birnbaum was, Jim, was uh, and, George Burns. Yeah, exactly. And George Burns was, was that, that was the group, George Burns and all of them. And uh, that, it was like, I couldn't, I, it's, it's still incredible for me to say that I spent that much time with them. And they were truly funny. I mean, George Burns was the funniest because he was the dirtiest. He was like, <laughs> he just couldn't stop. He was talking about women that they knew. And oh, it was like unbelievable. Nothing I would ever put in the play or could use. But, <laughs> of course. Uh, and, uh, and so Groucho and I, uh, you know, we, we became friends and I wrote the first draft of the play, which they eventually did, and then I introduced him to like Elliot Gould, who was a close friend of mine, and Tommy Smothers, and they went nuts to be meeting him, and he was unaware of this kind of following that he had, so it was just great. Yeah, I heard like like Jack Nicholson would come over to his yep. house, and Bill yep. Cosby. Yep, and, and he had a close friend, Harry Ruby. Oh, the songwriter. Of, oh, sure. Yeah, the yeah. songwriter. Yeah. Bert Kalmar and Harry, Harry Ruby. Ruby. Kalmar and Ruby. Yeah. 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 He wrote, like, the lyrical song, Today, Father is Father's Day, yeah. and we bought you a tie. It's <laughs> not much to know. It is just a way of showing you. We think you're a regular guy. Oh, that's great. You've got Groucho down great. <laughs> I, see, I became most fascinated with Groucho when he came back to show business and he would appear on TV with a beret. Oh, with Marvin and, Hamlish as yes, the company. Yes, yeah. yes. And, yeah. and, and he'd go like, uh, I remember when... <laughs> We worked in Ohio, and Ohio was a state at that time that people would live in, and they had houses, and these people wore shoes that people would wear. 
That's exactly how he found it. That is exactly how he found it. And that fascinated me. Yeah, when, well, he, he because, you know, you're getting the older version of him, and, you know, younger, he they were all very sort of playful, but they, they this was a group that just were always funny. They put each other down in a very humorous way, and uh, they imagine how far back they went. They went to... They they go back to vaudeville together. These guys and it's it just an incredible thing to be with them. Just amazing. Now you were telling me that all of those old comics still were complaining about people who had been dead for like fifty years. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> at one point, it was it was late in the afternoon at Hillcrest, and they, you know, I don't know if they, I, I never saw them golfing, but they mostly <laughs> had lunch there. And it was like about three o'clock, and and uh, and they were all tired, and it was just about you know I'd taken notes, and every we're just about ready to say goodbye. And then George Burt, and, and I think it was Benny or Burns. Benny said, Jack Benny said, so uh, something about, you guys remember Higgins? And they all, all, all of a sudden, these old guys became young. Higgins, that bastard. That's, and everyone had something bad to say about this. Higgins, they became like 30-year-old guys. And, and, and George Burns said, yeah, Higgins, he was a reviewer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And he panned them all, and, and George said, he, Higgins even gave Fink's mules a better review than me and Grace. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, a treasure, those they were They were a treasure, actually, for me. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, now, what's see? Now, the thing I heard, like somebody one time told me, they said, uh, you know, Groucho Marx wasn't called Groucho because he was so pleasant to be yeah. around. So, did you see any of that? I, I, I never saw any of that. I never saw the personal life. I know there were a lot of uh, divorces. In, in, the, in them, although you get with Jack Benny and, and George Burns, you had people who were very stable type people and married a long time. Groucho didn't have that, that kind of luck, but I never saw any nastiness at all to anybody from that group. They, they liked being with each other and, uh, and they had a history. So no, I, I, I didn't see any of the, the unpleasantness, you know, the, they had stories, about W.C. Fields, who probably was anti-Semitic on top of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was use... going to ask about that. I heard he was anti-Semitic. 
I mean, you could because all the Jews owned show business, and, and <laughs> W.C. Fields wasn't Jewish, and they were all comedians. So you could understand him being a touch, a smidge anti-Semitic. <laughs> I think in his position, I might have been myself. But then I heard he was best friends with Eddie Cantor and Fanny Bryce. That W.C. Fields yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Strange. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you could tolerate Eddie Cantor, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> David, you mentioned Tommy Smothers. Let's let's talk a little bit about the role you played in getting the Smothers Brothers finally kicked off the air at CBS. Yes. Well, it wasn't finally. It wasn't like it was. Well, they were they were always in trouble <laughs> with the network. Well, I I um, you know from Second City, one of the things I did were these sermons where I would improvise a sermon. You know the. The audience didn't know that I was uh, forced to study the Bible and knew it very well. And, uh, and so it was always a surprise that they could suggest anything in the Old Testament, and I, I sort of had some facts about it. And uh, Tommy asked me to do one, and I did. Moses was the first one. And it, it was, it, it, no one had done, it's 1967, and no one had done any, anything irreverent or um, n- nothing about the Bible at all on television. No, no one had done any humor that had to do with God and the Bible on TV, especially. And I don't think anywhere, but, you know, I, I had this sort of, ad- I was playing a reform rabbi who really didn't know what he was talking about, if that's not a redundancy of some kind, <laughs> uh, but, but that's who I was playing. So I did Moses had a wonderful rapport with God, whom I'm sure you'll all remember from last week's sermon. I was sort of innocent <laughs> if, if you're listening to it. You know, it, it wasn't bad. And it went well. The audience laughed a lot, and they liked it. And Tommy said, oh, God, that was so great. And every, you know, we went out and celebrated afterwards, as you do after a show that goes well. And I went back to New York. It was in L.A. <clears throat> and what happened after I left, which I only found out later, Tommy invited me back the next week to do another show. So I was going to fly back. I actually flew back to L.A. But what had happened is, after the Moses sermon, and remember, the Smothers Brothers show, was the, there were only three networks, and the Smothers Brothers was the number one show in America. And after the Smothers Brothers, Tommy, the Smothers Brothers got the most hate mail for my sermon in the, in the history of television. Didn't Tommy lead you into a room and show you the burlap sacks of hate show mail? Show me the burlap sack as if, <laughs> wow. like, what a great thing, uh, what, a, wow. what an honor you've got. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking he's got a career and uh, what's going to happen to me. But, yeah, it was, I mean, really, it's an incredible statistic to realize that You've alienated more people than anyone ever in the history of television. So, <laughs> so he was told by the network to not, you could have David Steinberg back, but don't do a, don't do a sermon. And don't let him do a sermon. And, and he was very belligerent. He didn't like being told what to do. And he was pushing the envelope by having, you know, um, Pete Seeger and Joan Baez and singing their anti-war songs at the time, which the network wasn't happy about. But it was mine that they sort of drew the line on. And then I did another, I came back for the second time, and I did a piece with Tommy, another back-and-forth thing from Second City that, that I had done. 
And uh, and afterwards, he said to me, "God, that went so well. Why didn't you do another sermon?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I hadn't known that CBS told him, "Don't have him do a sermon." And I did a sermon on on Jonah, and I I said about uh, I I had to I made a reference to the the New Testament scholars grabbed the Jews by the old. Testament and made the, the uh, a gesture with my hands that looked like I was holding balls in my hands, <laughs> and, and, and that sermon never got on the air, and that show never got on the air, and they were the number one show on television, and they were canceled, which was had never happened before. From CBS. Hey, CBS, can yeah. I tell you? Uh, just I know you aren't there, but I I always heard a story. That Bill Cosby once punched out Tommy's mothers. I I would I think I would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but let me tell you that there's no way that I mean Tommy's mothers could get punched out by a nun. He was so obnoxious to people. <laughs> So I don't doubt that he drove Bill Cosby crazy, but I'm not sure that it it came to. Are you mistaking Bill Cosby for a nun? I don't know. (laughs) And you did the David Steinberg show. What about the David Steinberg show? Yeah, how'd you come up with the title? (laughs) (laughs) It was named after an accountant that I admired. <laughs> but uh, yeah. well, you know, and then at, well, I'll tell you, Gilbert. At that time, um, all my agents were saying to me, you know, you're getting hot now and all that. You you can't continue. David Steinberg is not a good name. You have to. You're not going to get. They said you're not going to get a show, but <laughs> with with the name David Steinberg, it's too. You know, say it's too Jewish. And <laughs> basically, the people who were telling me this were a blasphemer. <laughs> <laughs> and Lou Weiss. And, uh, okay, yeah, no, no, you can't do it. But we, we yeah, we could do it. <laughs> but uh, it just didn't make sense. Why would you? Why would you change your name when you know all the all the teachers who thought you were a big screw up, or they won't know that it's me if I change my name. So, uh, so I just I, I stayed with it. We should point out to our younger viewers, David, as, as if we had any, that, the, <laughs> yes. that the, the David Steinberg show was kind of a precursor of the Larry Sanders show. It was behind, a behind-the-scenes look at a variety show. Well, Larry Sanders yeah, was a talk yeah, show, that, but it that, was... That was uh, I, did, I did that in Toronto, and it was... I, I hired these people and put them together that had never been on TV before. Marty Short was one of them. John mm-hmm. Candy was another. Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin... Uh, Joe Flaherty, Joe Flaherty, Dave Thomas. They were they were the company, and uh, John Candy played a Doc Severinsen sort of band leader type named Spider Rossetti. <laughs> 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 and uh, uh, my closest friend, even to this day, Ziggy Steinberg, uh, wrote all the shows, and it was it was the Larry Sandy Sanders show. I think uh, Gary Shaming even mentioned that to me that he saw it and stayed in his memory for a while and all of that. But in those times, you couldn't get, you know, easy DVDs. You had to see it, you know, 
uh, on a two-inch version of it. But yeah, that was one of my favorite things that I ever did, actually. I played, again, another redundancy, I played an egotistical version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the show was the, was the show and the behind-the-scenes of the show? It was the show and behind-the-scenes, and, and it was done in Toronto, and people came, I had guest stars come up and do the show. So every, every show had a guest star. And uh, Ethel Merman did the show, Milton Berle did the show, Tommy Smothers did the show, Elliot Gould and John Voigt, who were good friends of mine, they came up separately and did the show, and Richie Pryor did the show. And it, they, uh, it was sort of a scripted show based around an incident. It was sort of my version of the old Burns and Allen show. Uh, because there was a deli across the street, and we would go into the deli and watch the rehearsals on TV in the deli that was across the street in the studio. So it was just, it was just a dream come true kind of experience. And George Burns was always breaking the fourth wall. Yes, that's my my instinct for doing that came from the Burns and Allen show, which is very. A studio, smart of you to notice that. I, that was what I had in mind. And Gilbert and I, Gilbert and I are fans of Billy Saluga, who played the deli owner. Yes, and he played the deli. He was one of my closest friends at the time. And uh, uh, Raymond J. Jr. You ever call me Ray? And you can, oh and my God! Yes. Call me Jay. Yeah, and and he was amazing. And you know, he was in the later on. He got into the Ace Trucking Company with Fred Willard, and they were an incredible group. But Billy was, yeah, he was my best friend who ran the deli across the street, and then he was in every show. Because I remember Burns would, like, in the middle of the show, be watching TV, watching yes. his own show. Yes. And, and he would go, Now, uh, Harry Von Trell is, is going to come over and talk to Gracie, and um, <laughs> and yes. uh, he, 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 he thinks she doesn't know. Uh, yes. What he's up to. <laughs> exactly. Yes. exactly. And, and I lifted all that kind of stuff. Because and, and, uh, Marty Short played uh, my, my cousin, uh, but, he had, but I wouldn't let him tell anyone that he was my cousin because I was so embarrassed that he, and so he went by the name Johnny Del Bravo. <laughs> And wrapping his arms around an older woman in the audience, he was like so bold and amazing, Marty. It was unbelievable. It, it really, you know, all the all the people, all the comedy world from Canada, they always remember that show because the group was so. I mean, John Candy and Joe Flaherty, I and mean, every one of them was spectacular in their own way, comedically. So it was a that was a dream come true show all the way through, doing it and shooting it, all of it. Now, I was told to ask you to tell the Tony Bennett story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's too long a story to tell on the phone. It's, 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 <laughs> Could you give us an... See, now, now I, I, I can't take it. Now I really no, I, have to... I can't take it. I have to hear the Tony Bennett story. <laughs> Okay. Even if we I'll, make this do, a two-parter, <laughs> I'll try and tell it to you. I don't. I don't know if it'll work on radio with me on the phone in L.A. and you in New York, but I'll try it. Okay. <laughs> so again, this is I've, everything I did was based on. It had to have some modicum of the truth, 
it's not like I was uh, 60 minutes and had to tell the truth all the time. <laughs> but, but mostly I, I needed to have some, something happen. This, was, this is pretty much how it happened. So it was my first Tonight Show, <clears throat> and I had been bumped from the show at least three times because there were too many guests and they went too long. And this was when the show was 90 minutes, and this was in New York. And my agent was Irvin Arthur. Did you know Irvin Arthur, Gilbert? Uh, I know the name. Yeah, he was wonderful. He was a GAC agent. And for three, actually four times in a row, four times in a row, they announced me on the show, but I never got on because it always went too long with other guests. So... Even my mother said, "Honey, maybe you're not going. Maybe they're just going to say your name, and that's it." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "No, Mom. I, I promise you, I'm supposed to get on anyway." So, <clears throat> the fifth time, my my age. So, Urban Arthur came. Don't worry, they got to realize that you're a big star and you're going to get on the show. And I'm going to make a thing about that. They're, 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 you're going to get on. Don't worry. You're on tonight. You are on the show. So I remember it was sort of a snowy night outside, and I'm looking at the board at who the guests are, and there's only one guest, and it's Tony Bennett and me and David Steinberg. So I said, okay, this is good. You know, there's <laughs> Tony Bennett, David Steinberg. And so then Johnny goes into the audience and does stump the band. Oh, you know, sure. know, where they sure. trade a number and oh, he gets yeah. stumped yeah, the band. sure. So... Stump the band is usually a five-minute little thing, goes into the audience, they guess what it is, and Johnny says it. The Stump the Band is going so well that this is like a war and peace version of it. It lasts (laughs) for 25 minutes, practically. (laughs) It's a Stump the Band. It might as well have been a Stump the Band special. So I'm still waiting, and I'm looking at the clock, and it's 90 minutes, I'm not worried. And then Tony Bennett comes on. And he sits down instead of going to sing right away. And Johnny says, before you do a number, you know, I know you started out here and there. And then Tony Bennett, who's uh, not exactly Mr. Words, uh, (laughs) is George Bernard Shaw tonight. (laughs) You've never heard, I've never heard anyone that articulate. He's talking (laughs) in metaphors and funny and that, 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 that. It's great. The audience is going crazy for him. So they break for commercial and I say, Irvin, it's getting uh, (laughs) a little, how much time is left? Don't worry, there's three more segments and all that. They come back and Tony Bennett talks to Johnny even more, and there are even more stories. And now Johnny's telling stories, and Tony Bennett's laughing. And then they break for commercial, and they come back, and uh, he said, and now Tony Bennett, and don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, Tony Bennett's going to be singing a song, and, you know, and he goes back and talks to him. Now, he's talking to him, and they break to commercial. He hasn't sang a song yet, and there's only one segment left. And so I'm going over the material. I said, I, I can't even, if I'm only on for half a segment, I'm not going to get anything said. It's like unbelievable. And uh, 
I, I say to Irvin, Irvin, this is ridiculous. I mean, so Irvin said, don't worry. I said, he said to me, I'm going to take care of all of this, Irvin, my agent. And I hear him going back and he's talking to Rudy Tay as the producer and he's hollering at him. He said, you don't understand what you're doing. David Steinberg's an up and coming star. <clears throat> he has to be on the show. You promise. I mean, I, I was so proud of him. It was really great. And then I wait for him to come back to tell me I'm going to be on the show. He said, oh. Said I he said we're not going to go on. He said, uh, you know, there's there's not enough time. So, uh, but you're going to be on next week. So let's get out of here. So I'm depressed as could be. We both put on our winter coats and we're leaving. And just as we're leaving, and outside the door of the studio, Tony Bennett says, "And now I'd like to sing." I left my heart in San Francisco, and Urban said to me, "Wait a sec, I love this song." <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) David, speaking of managers and agents, is it true that David Geffen talked you out of auditioning for The Graduate? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't know. I I never really told that story a lot. He claims it never happened. David Geffen said I would never have done it. But I seem to remember, you know, he was not a major agent. He was like working himself up. But he was like, you could see he was going to be something. He was so smart and cool and all of that. And uh, I was going to audition for The Graduate, and I was walking down the hallway away from Harry Kalsheim, my agent, in the other hall. And he said, where are you going? I said, well, my, there's a, Mike Nichols is doing this movie, and I, I was, uh, I, I'm going to go audition for it. He said, <clears throat> which one? <clears throat> Pardon me. I said, The Graduate. He said, The Graduate? They're not going to go with a little Jew like you. They're going to go with Tony <laughs> Bill. <Bill's laughs> You know, David Geffen, who's probably the most successful person in the world that I know, he says, please don't tell that story anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Now, you, you were supposed to be on the cover of Newsweek. Yes. In 1974, and you were bumped. Yes. I I was on the cover. (laughs) Was it you and Richard Pryor, David? It was me, Richard Pryor, and Lily Tomlin. Wow. And it was, we were the new comedians. And uh, and they sent us the cover. Well, well, they followed us. They followed Lily, you know, uh, a guy, Art Cooper, a very well-known writer who, who was the editor of Gentleman Quarterly later on. He followed me all over in all my gigs all over the, the country in colleges and clubs, you know, and all the little places. I always had to play with jazz groups and stuff like that were open for me and um, or I opened for them mostly. But anyway, uh, he followed me and someone else followed Lily and someone else followed Richie. And, and, and I'm talking about two months of this, maybe even three months. And then uh, they sent us to cover and it was sort of the max masks of you know, tragedy and comedy, one of those sort of pretentious covers, but you saw with my face and Lily's and, and Richie's. And uh, August 9th, my birthday, uh, Nixon resigned, and they bumped us off the cover <laughs> and put him on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> An unkind cut. Right. Considering how you felt about Nixon. 
Yeah, right. so I, I had reason to, <laughs> but you know, he actually won. He bumped me off the cover. And and you were on Nixon's enemies list. Yeah, yeah, that because at that time, you know, it was during an election, and you know, now that we realize what went on, I had no idea that these people heckling me were hired by the government. To, you know, they they wanted to stop my career because I I was. I had the benefit, as I said earlier, of being able to get things said on The Tonight Show. So there were people from the government who are paying people to start screaming stuff out when you were on. Yeah, to heckle me everywhere. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's what happened almost everywhere that I went. And uh, I didn't know that they were shills, but my friend Ziggy, who was with me all the time, said it always seems like the same guy, but we couldn't see them. You know, we were at that time playing the big colleges, and and someone, every time I did Nixon, would start to holler and go crazy, and you know, it didn't stop me, but it certainly wasn't wasn't fun. It didn't help the rhythm. Of the so they at had all. people following you, the same people yeah, following yeah. you from city to city, to heckle. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was terrifying, actually. And then when when Watergate occurred, I, I saw one of the guys sitting behind Donald Segretti, who was one of the police guys who were saying, don't worry, we'll protect you in New York. And I realized he wasn't going to protect me at all. He's also another guy just taking names and who was around me. And, so the and they, guy... And, you know, I was totally in it. I wasn't doing anything except what you saw me doing. It wasn't like there was... Another hidden agenda I had, you know, I was very out front about it. So the guy who was going to protect you from the people who are following you was also with Nixon. Part part of the the Segretti, this, you know, the dirty tricks group. Yeah. This is more interesting than uh, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford movie. <laughs> yeah, well, when someone is heckling you, it's scary. You know, you yeah. have to know, you hope that the guy isn't waiting for you afterwards. And, and especially from the government. That is so, yes. that is deranged. Yeah, that, I mean, when I found that out, it was uh, an unbelievably shocking feeling just in general. Wow. Now, David, indulge me, if you would, for a second, because sure. as a kid, I loved your guest spot on The Odd Couple, where you played, your, where you played yourself. Yes. And it was, it's just one of the classic episodes. Do you, do you, have, yes. do you have any memories of that? Or, of- oh, it was, it was so, first of all, it was uh, uh, Jerry Belson and Gary Marshall wrote that. And they were like, they, they had great writers on The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Tony Randall and Jack Klugman were just, they were unbelievable in the parts. They were like... Almost better than anyone did it on Broadway. Well, maybe Walter Matthau was supposed to have been great, and uh, the others were good too. But I, they were so perfect for these roles, and uh, and then yeah, and it was uh, <laughs> it was a very simple premise, in that Jack Corbin was a sports writer, and uh, and he was on the show uh, on the Tonight Show when I was guest hosting, and he started to talk about his roommate, how he was a neat freak and all of that, and got a lot of laughs. <laughs> And Tony Randall went crazy, and he wanted to go on the Tonight Show. And it was, it was, uh, you know, a lot of people know every, they know all the words to all the songs that Tony Randall and I sang from the past. You know, he was a guy who knew all the, 
Little Orphan Annie songs. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and so, that's that's the point. That's the turning point where you join in and and, and yes, stop. yes, I know all the songs, and I also do know those songs from the past. So it was incredible. They sort of tapped into your personality a little bit, but uh, but Randall, Tony Randall, in that scene where he comes on the Tonight Show with me, and he gets he's very nervous, 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 and I talk him into singing a song, and he gets really cocky, and he leans back, and he leaned back so far he was going to fall, and I grabbed him by his foot. It's a great moment. Find it all. <laughs> I thought you guys rehearsed that because it's such a beautiful piece of physical comedy. Oh, it, it was, it, I was saving his life. <laughs> and, uh, and afterwards, he, you know, he, wasn't, he was, wasn't a warm and fuzzy guy, but afterwards he just hugged me. I said, you know, because I saved you. He said, no, that you caught me. It's the biggest laugh we could have gotten. All he cared about were the laughs. So he's such a professional. It was just great. But I, I, I actually love that show. I'm so glad I got to do it. I, I, I remember hearing Jack Lemon, who was in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, said he was a big fan of the TV series. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't not be like Jack Lemon and and Walter Matthau. They, I mean, they were such they were like amazing talents. So they wouldn't be jealous of Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. Yeah, you couldn't. It was written so well. And, you know, I think Matt Perry is doing an odd couple now on CBS. I believe he is. Yeah. And I, I hope they're, they're, they're mimicking the television show more than the movie because that was so great. I just have to tell you a quick anecdote, David. I saw a very strange production of that episode of The Odd Couple live, uh-huh. live in Los Angeles many, about 15 years ago. And Sarah Silverman played David Steinberg. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. She told me that. She told you? She told me that on my show. There you go. Was it? Yeah. yeah. She she played Some friends of mine mounted the production, and I sent, because I love that episode, I said, who's playing David Steinberg? And they said, Sarah is. Now, now, was she good? Did she get laughed at Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now, a lot of people don't know that, but you're a very established director. Well, I I enjoy directing, so I I yeah I I directed a a lot of I wanted to direct sitcoms when at that time if you were a director you that was the wrong way to go you went into movies that was all that people wanted to do but I I loved the sitcom form I didn't regard it as a cheap second cousin to anything and uh, I started it sort of young before the television boom occurred and at that time there were a lot of older directors who were retiring and getting out of it so i got to work on all these uh, incredible shows and they were it was just so much fun to do it was just great and you are a director on a lot of episodes of curb your enthusiasm with Larry I did, david yes. yes and and that was great you know the Larry David's a friend, and Larry Charles was, you know, writing with me early on. You remember that Larry Charles wrote the, the uh, Belzer show that we did. Oh yes, and you fact- know that and that you were in Gilbert. That was that was a, that's another great gem to find. What that was that Belzer show? show. <laughs> yeah, what it was, was Belzer as Richard Belzer, and yeah. he plays a comedian at Catch a Rising Star. Yeah, <laughs> also Perfect. stretching. And you were the bartender? Were you the bartender? Yeah, I was the bartender. And at one point, there's an episode where they're trying to pretend that I'm Mick Jagger. 
Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. You were sitting with a, an ascot in the, yeah. in the bleachers. Now, yeah. I, I know I told this story on your show, but it's a story I just love telling. One time you were directing me uh-huh. in an episode of, uh, uh, oh, um, what, Paul Rice's Mad show. About you. You, Mad yes. About you. Yeah, you were directing me in an episode of uh, Mad About You. I, I had to do this scene, say a line, and run off. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did it. And mm-hmm. then you walked over to me very uncomfortably. You were <laughs> directing. And you said, um, I, I want you to run off again. But this time, could you make it a little faster? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess I could run faster. And, and then you went, no, no, no. Um, could you make it a little more graceful? <laughs> and, and, and I said, I, 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 then I just totally shrugged my shoulders. <laughs> and then you said, well, I mean, that's such a jerky movement. It's more evenly. And, and then finally you just stopped and threw your hands up in the air and said, can you run less Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I understood exactly. That, that sounds like me. That, those are the kind of notes I gave to a lot of people. <laughs> yes. I, I don't great. think Alfred Hitchcock ever gave <laughs> yeah, that direct. And then one other story I we talked about in your show, but also... You were asked to tell the aristocrats in the documentary. Yes, yes, yes. and and I I can't I can't tell a joke. I cannot <laughs> tell a joke. I, 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 Which is really I bad for a, a comedian. I, <laughs> it, it is a little bit of a handicap. <laughs> and I actually tried to while while Penn was Penn Gillette was there. And I and they said, "Oh my God, that's horrendous!" They they even just said it to my face. That's the worst. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, "Well, who's on the show?" And they said, "Well, Gilbert Gottfried." I said, "Well, how about if I introduce Gilbert Gottfried?" And they said, "Okay." And that's all I did in the Aristocrats was I inter- I introduced you. And and so I I always thought it it should have been you. David Steinberg telling the aristocrats, and it would have been, a family walks into a talent agent's office, and then the father starts sucking his son's cock. And then the son is eating his mother's kunt. And... That's like Alan Thicke doing David Steinberg. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, David, I, I I can't tell you how much fun I had once again talking to you. Oh, it's always great. fun for me, Gilbert. You know, you've always been one of my favorite comedians ever, and that still that still goes. Thank you so much for including me in this. Thanks, David. Oh, thank you. Oh, and anytime you want to come back, anytime you have something to plug, uh, please. Thank you so much, Gilbert. So Thanks, we, we've been Thanks, talking Dave. to the, the great David Steinberg. And this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, saying until next week. <laughs> <laughs>